So here's what I want to do. I want to do something a little different this morning. I, I'm going to have you at home. This is what we often do in our groups. I want to encourage you, if you've got one, two, three, four people, how, what the number is, it doesn't really matter. I want you to read a verse at a time. And you can pass the phone around or p- pass the scriptures around if you have a Bible there. And I'm going to let you read it together. Revelation 1, 12 through 18. And then I'm going to come back and we're going to make a f- uh, three observations about Jesus. This is a vision about the glory of Christ Jesus. And then we'll meditate into it. So why don't you take a few minutes. Again, each of you can read a verse at a time. And then I'll come back and read it. Just take a moment and do that. Revelation 1, 12 to 18. So I'm looking for a cue from someone. Were you able to read it? Okay, good. All right. So Revelation 1, 12 through 18. And the previous verses, what John is explaining here is that he is on a Sunday celebrating the resurrection. He's been exiled to this island of Patmos that's about 55 miles southwest off the coast of Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. And he's been exiled there. And he is praying and he's meditating and he says he's in the spirit on the Lord's day and he has this encounter with the resurrected Lord Jesus and you just read about it verses 12 through 18 and what I want to do is just kind of drill down into a few of these uh, highlights here verses 12 through 13 what we see you read about this you've got this figure one like the son of man who's moving among the lampstands and this is can be rather strange symbolism but we're going to parse it out a little bit this verses 12 and 13 is really about Jesus moving among his churches that's what that whole passage is about John is turning to see the voice that's speaking to him there at verse 12 and he's saying that the voice that was speaking was like a trumpet And so it's signaling something very important when a trumpet appears in Scripture. It's signaling the day of the Lord, an appearance of the Lord. And now John turns to see who it is. And this passage is highlighting that the Lord uses all of our senses, hearing, seeing, feeling, in order to communicate himself to us. We get to experience the Lord in all of those various ways. Look at verse 12b. Here, the second part of verse 12, it's talking about these golden lampstands. What in the world does that mean? It's Old Testament symbolism 
that speaks of God's presence. The Lord instructed Moses and Solomon, both in the wilderness and in the, in the tabernacle and in the temple, to construct these lampstands that would always be in God's presence, uh, lit, illuminated, representing the glory of God. And so here, John, in this vision, is seeing these golden lampstands representing God's presence and glory. And right in the middle of these golden lampstands is one like the Son of Man. It is the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus. And this is so rich with symbolism here. What John is seeing has actually been revealed to other Old Testament prophets in Daniel 7 and Daniel 10. There was a vision of this glorious Messiah, promised Messiah who would come one day and rule all the nations of the earth. All the nations of the earth would be shaken and yet the messianic kingdom, the kingdom of God would emerge and the Messiah would rule and reign. And so what the text is saying is, this is him. This is God's messianic king, the resurrected Lord Jesus. And he's speaking with John on the island of Patmos. This is him, the one who fulfills all of the prophecies and promises of the Old Testament. And what we're going to see, we're going to see these things and then we're going to meditate on them a little bit. There's about eight features of the Son of Man, Jesus. And when it says Son of Man, it means that he's human, right? He's the son of another human, but it also means that he is the unique one that was promised by Daniel and the other Old Testament prophets Let's just take a moment here, and I want you to think about that. We're going to meditate on that, to picture Jesus in, even in a moment like this, Jesus is among his people. Jesus is moving in his churches, just like this vision conveys. So let's just take a moment and picture that in our minds. This is all meant to help us picture and meditate and pray. That's the whole point of the text. So let's do that for a moment. If it's you and the Lord there, you can speak this out. If it's you and family or friends, just picture the glorious man, Christ Jesus, there among the seven lampstands. Moving. Caring for them. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are moving among your churches right now. You were then and you are now. We lift our attention to you. We fix our eyes on you, the glorious one, the son of man, full of glory and power. We meditate on you right now, individually and as a community. Look at what the text goes on to say here. At verse 13, he, this son of man is clothed with a long robe and a golden sash across his chest. Again, other Old Testament characteristics here, it's conveying that Jesus is the priest and the king. He's clothed like an Old Testament priest would have been. And like an Old Testament king would have been with this golden sash. One commentator says this. I think this is just beautiful. It speaks of the power and the tender nature of Jesus. 
commentator named G.K. Beale says this, part of Christ's priestly role is to tend the lampstands. The Old Testament priests would trim the lamps, remove the wick and old oil, refill the lamps with fresh oil, and relight those that had gone out. Likewise, Christ tends each lampstand or church by commending, correcting, exhorting, and warning in order to secure the church's fitness to serve as light bearers in a dark world. So my friends, do you need a little fresh oil right now? Do you need Jesus to relight you? Let's take a moment and cooperate with him. Jesus, we just ask right now, acknowledging that you're walking and moving, serving among us, we ask you to relight us, to refill us, so that in this hour we might be light bearers, radiating the glory of God in what's happening right now. Let's look at the next section there. I've just got to say, this text has gripped me all week. I have found myself, when anxiety comes, and there's plenty of it in different ways, different moments, I just am choosing in those moments to say, Christ Jesus, you are glorious. You are powerful. You are my priest, and I give myself to you right now. This text has laid hold of me, and hopefully it will for you the coming week. I know some of you have been meditating on the, the passages that have been sent out or posted on various places, Instagram, and this is one of those texts. A second thing that we see here that we can meditate on in verses 14 through 16, you read it. Jesus reigns over all of creation. And if you look at it here, it's talking about his majesty. Look at verse 14. His head and his hair were white as wool. And what is being communicated here, friends? The vision in Daniel 7 describes God in these same, same terms. So what John is seeing here is that Christ is united with God. All the attributes that were given to God, to Yahweh, to Jehovah in the Old Testament are now attributed to Jesus. This is massively significant for New Testament theology and for a vision of who Christ is. He and the Father are one. He's talked about it in John 10 and other places in the gospel. But here John is seeing it in a new way. N.T. Wright, another commentator. And again, why do I quote these people? Because they are devoting their lives to meditating on these passages. It's almost like if you read a good commentary, you get to sit in on someone's prayer time. If it's a prayerful scholar, that's why I quote them. I invite you to get, get some books. It's always best, first and foremost, to read the scripture, to pray the scripture, to interact with God. But it sure helps sometimes to consult someone who's devoted 30 or 40 years. And someone like N.T. Wright, listen to what he says. In John's vision, 
when we are looking at Jesus, the text is saying that we are looking straight through him at the Father himself. And so there's something very magnificent, majestic that, that's going on here. Look at the next section there. It's describing the Son of Man, Jesus, and his eyes are like flame of fire. There were times this week when I would just stop for a moment and say, Jesus, Son of Man, glorious man, Christ Jesus, your eyes are filled with fire. Your eyes are filled with fire for me. You see through me. You see to the depths of who I am and who I'm not. And you're filled with the fire of love. We're the Lord's beloved. And the Lord, as he looks at you, friends, is filled with fire. The fire of divine love. He loves you. He sees you. He knows you. And that's what the text is saying here. It's saying many things about these eyes of fire. It's fiery holiness. It's the Lord being able to see through all things and to consume the things that impair or impede love. Look at the next verse here, and we'll take a moment for you to meditate. But his feet are like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. What does that speak of? It speaks of Christ walking through the fiery trials of his life and coming through on the other side with great purity and strength and holiness. This is the one that we follow. And again, if you think about this text was written for people that were walking through a fiery furnace and they could look at someone like Jesus and say, we can follow him. We can trust him. His voice, look at verse 15. You read this. His voice is like the sound of many waters. His voice is like a waterfall. It's like waves crashing. And his voice, Christ's voice, like God's, in Psalm 29, is mighty and powerful. Share something personal here for a moment. This might seem kind of odd, but one time I got to hear the audible voice of God in a dream. One time. And it was about a decade ago. And in the dream, it shook my bed and shook the apartment where we were. I can remember it as clear as a bell. And it shook the windows of the apartment where we lived. And I thought, I'm not sure I want to hear that often. And what John is getting at here is that the voice of God is mighty and powerful. And it's awe-inspiring. Let's take a moment. And maybe he wants to speak to you. And maybe it's not shaking the the windows or rattling your bones, but the Lord wants to speak to us in times like this. This is why we look at a text like this, so that we kind of refocus our attention on him and we give him the opportunity to speak to us, not just CNN or Fox News or whatever your news source is, but let him speak to you in a moment like this. So why don't you take just a few moments here and say, Lord, speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. Lord, here we are. 
We want to hear your voice. Speak peace to us. Speak to your beloved. And you at home, why don't you take a moment to to speak out what he's showing you? Maybe a verse, maybe a picture. Just take a few moments. Speak that out. Share it with others. may do things that are a little bit different around here, whether we're meeting together on a Sunday or we're meeting like this. Again, one of our key values, part of our mission, why we exist, we make space for God to do his thing. And so we're training ourselves. We're learning how to do that, how to pause. Lord, what are you doing? What's on your mind right now? What do you want to say to us? Look at verse 16. I hope this is rich for you and gives you some further things to ponder, to worship into. Look at what it says at verse 16 here. In the Son of Man, Jesus' hand, he's holding, John is seeing this in the vision, seven stars. And at verse 20, it's going to explain that these seven stars are angels of churches. And the point of all of it is conveying that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over the churches. Jesus as the son of man that Daniel saw, that John is seeing, is Lord over the nations. And Jesus is Lord over the entire spirit realm, including all angels. And these angels, we don't really know exactly what it means, but some of the the earliest commentators said that it, it may be that each church had a guardian angel The New Testament talks about this in the book of Acts, that individual believers, Acts 12, 15, talks about the apostle Peter having a guardian angel. And so perhaps this is suggesting that each local church has an angel that's been assigned. We're not sure, but the point is Jesus rules. They do what Jesus says. He rules over them. Look at verse 16b here, the second part of that from The Lord Jesus' mouth comes a sharp, two-edged sword. And we know from Scripture that the sword is the Word of God. Ephesians 6 and Hebrews 4, it's the, the spiritual weapon. Jesus isn't a militant person. He's a spiritually powerful and authorized person. In Revelation 19, he's actually going to come back as the Word of God. So where he is, revelation occurs. The people of God are quickened and his enemies flee. Another commentator says this, George Ladd, 
great commentator on the theologian on the kingdom says this, he shall speak and it shall be done. This is analogous to the account of creation. God spoke and it was done. So the text is saying here, this is the God-man, Christ Jesus. What he says is accomplished. And his face, look at the next line there, is shining like the sun, full force. We know that the apostle John, who's having this vision, was with Jesus when he saw his face, when he saw him transfigured in Matthew 17, John saw that. But this is even more overwhelming. The resurrected Jesus is radiating the glory of God. The New Testament says that we actually have the opportunity to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. And then earlier in chapter 3, he says that we get to behold the glory of God and be transformed by it. So let's do that for a moment. Friends, just again, we're, we're learning to do this together. Imagine there the Lord Jesus, his face shining like the sun in its strength over you, within you. It's like looking at the sun at noon. His love, his glory pouring over you and into you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that. Your sun, your face like the sun shining into us. Removing the darkness, the anxiety, the stress filling us with glory and hope. The third thing that this text shows us here is we meditate on the person of Jesus. Verses 17 through 18, and we'll end with this. And Mike can lead us in communion. I know some of you already have your communion out. We got a text this morning that One of the teenagers had already set out the communion and is ready to go. I love it. So look at verses 17 through 18. I'm going to read this. This is John's response to the glorious man, Christ Jesus. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But Jesus placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and see, I am alive forever and ever, and I have the keys of death and Hades. This is Jesus' closest friend. Five times in the book of John, John was called the beloved. He was an intimate friend with Jesus, and here he is seeing him in his resurrection glory, and he falls like he's dead. He is overwhelmed by the majesty and glory of Jesus and that same right hand that holds the angels of the churches reaches out to John and touches him and says don't be afraid have no fear i'm the first i'm the last we could say many things here but the point of the text is that Jesus has overcome death and these two words are actually synonyms death and hades it's kind of a a doubly emphasizing the 
Jesus has overcome death and the place of the dead. He's been given the keys. Listen to what another commentator says here. Death has now lost its terror, for Christ has gained the keys or authority so that he can unlock the gates of the grave and lead the dead into eternal life. My friends, we don't have, we don't have to fear anything. Think about it. You don't have to fear death. Ultimately, the Lord has taken the sting out of death. He is the resurrected one. He is the living one. He is the first. He is the last. This is our Lord. This is who we look to. This is who we follow. This is who indwells us through the Holy Spirit. I heard a news commentator which I've had to turn it off quite a bit, but I still come back to it like a toothache, a sore tooth. But one news commentator said, we have no cure for death and just instilling more and more fear. And I said out loud, yes, we do. Yes, we do. We actually have a cure for death and it's called be in a relationship with the glorious Christ Jesus. And then you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear the coronavirus or anything else. You can be wise, but you can also walk in absolute confidence. The worst for us, friends, is you die. Some of you say, well, that's rather morbid. It's actually not. The New Testament urges us to meditate. The worst is you die, and what happens? You go to be with the Lord. You get to be with him. So this week, we'll be sending out more meditations on the Lord so that you can lift your gaze to him and not be overwhelmed with the anxiety that the media is pumping out. You can even meditate on this more this week. Jesus moves among his churches. He reigns over all creation, and he triumphs over death. So, Mike, why don't you come and lead us in communion there, and then a little prayer time.